Uh, Happy New Year. I hope you've had a great New Year celebration so far. Um, And after a year like 2020, don't most of us feel like we could use some enthusiasm? We could use a fresh start, right? We could use a fresh start. I mean, we could use a sense of community. As Jerry said, I think 2020 left many of us alone and, and longing for just connection with people, right? Most of us in a new year would benefit from a new purpose, uh, from a shared purpose maybe, from a, from a deeper, richer connection with God. And that's the purpose behind what we're doing this year uh, in 2021. We're calling it Planted. And we started thinking about uh, a few months ago, what would our church benefit from? After a year like 2020, what would our church benefit from? And uh, this idea of reading through God's word together kept coming back to us. All right, we're just spending a year in the Bible, meditating on God's word, praying through it together, studying through it together as a church. And the idea of for planted came up when we started asking the question, what do we want to see God do in our church through our reading of the word together? You know, there's uh, promises in scripture that God's word never returns void, right? It never comes back empty. We started asking this question, like what could God do? If our entire church is reading through his word together, or what could God do if a significant portion of our church are reading through his word together? And we kept coming back to this passage from Psalm chapter one. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. You see it? it? Right? Right. It's planted by streams of water. Get it? Okay. So that person who meditates on the law of the Lord, who, who meditates on it day and night, who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now, a tree planted by streams of water is in a great position to prosper. It can withstand drought because it's close to a water source. It can withstand storms because its roots go deep down into the soil. It's less affected by the change of seasons. It's less vulnerable to disease and rot. It's more likely to stay strong and flourish no matter what is going on around it. Hopefully you're seeing the analogy here. Psalm 1, for us, for people, Psalm 1 says for us to be like that tree planted by streams of water, that we have to delight in the law of the Lord, that we should meditate on it day and night. And that promise is something that we should cling to because the last year for many of us has sent a lot of drought our way and a lot of storms our way, right? And disease and rot. And, it's, and that's just the things that we share in common. That's just like the societal things. There's a good chance that in your private life, like you're dealing with something too. You've experienced hard times too. And maybe even things that nobody knows anything about. I mean, maybe it's a drought in your marriage or relationships. Uh, Maybe it's storms in your job or in your finances. Maybe it's disease or illness or even the death of a loved one or loved ones. I mean, there are so many things that can attack us and try our patience and threaten to bring us down into anxiety, depression and anger and loneliness or other mental health problems. And while Psalm 1 doesn't promise, it doesn't guarantee that everything's going to go your way, being grounded in God's word can strengthen us. It can prepare us for those times when things aren't going so hot. 
And so that's what we're going to do this year as a church. Uh, We're going to dive right into scripture. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them to page one, right? We're starting at the very beginning. Uh, We're starting our series planted today. And this is a series that we'll be in most weeks of 2021. And while we're we're certainly going to take a few breaks throughout the year for things like Easter and Christmas and some other things that we've got planned, our goal is to keep reading through uh, all the way through the year and to preach most weekends what we're reading about. Now, what that means is that you can't just come to services on Sunday or watch us online and hope to get everything that you could possibly get out of this planted series. You have to be reading along with us. You have to be delighting in the law of the Lord. You have to be meditating on it day and night if you're going to get the most out of this. Also, like Jerry said a couple minutes ago, it's a great time to get into a connection group. We've got some that are starting on January 17th that week and uh, have some people in your life who are walking this same journey with you. Now, I want to encourage you, uh, I know many of you picked up a reading plan at the Info Hub over the last couple of weeks, and that's great, but if you don't have the Read Scripture app yet, I want to encourage you to download that and at least try to use it, because there are some incredible videos on there that do a great job of showing like how that passage of Scripture for the day fits into the overall narrative of God's Word. Now, I, I want to address one other thing, too, because this is an everyday thing. Uh, there's a good chance that at some point you're going to fall behind, right? You're going to miss a day. Uh, you're gonna, something's going to happen in life. You're going to go away and forget to bring your Bible with you. Something's going to happen. You'll fall behind. Now, if you get one or two days behind, it's not that difficult to catch up. But if you get more than like a week behind, uh, just don't try to catch up right away. Just start where you're supposed to be in the reading plan. Does that make sense? Like if, you, if, if we're on... Numbers 15 and you're back on Genesis 6, like don't try to get Genesis 6 through all of Leviticus tomorrow because that's just going to discourage you. So just catch up where we are and then over time you can go back and catch up what you miss. All right, day or two is okay, but if you get more than a week, start where you are and you might fall behind because life happens, right? And if you've ever tried to read the Bible all the way through, you know that it can be difficult. Like a lot of people start it and don't even make it through the first five books. And you get all this energy and enthusiasm going into Genesis and that carries you through and carries you on through Exodus. And then you hit Leviticus and it's like, it's like when you're water skiing and you let go of a rope and you just kind of sink into the water, right? Leviticus is this big long list of rules and procedures that the nation of Israel had to uh, adhere to in order to come in and be ritually pure and worship God. And many of it has no application or very little application. It's hard to see the application to our life today. And so it makes it hard to read. But then somehow you make it through Leviticus and then you get to Numbers, which I think is even harder. And that's a long road. It's a marathon. It's going to take discipline. But even today on day one, we can get something so important and so vital out of our reading that it's going to change the way you look at Scripture. Right? I, think, I think the very first verse in the Bible can change the way you look at Scripture and change the way you look at the world. Let's look at it right now. Genesis 1.1 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I have to tell you, this is the first Bible verse I ever memorized. <laughs> it's the first one in Scripture. It's very, my, our teacher, uh, when I was in preschool, I was at a Christian preschool, and she assigned us a Bible verse to memorize. And uh, I said, I'm just going to open the Bible and see what I find. And this is the first one. I thought, that's pretty easy. I can memorize that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But I think there's so much more to this than just something that's very easy to remember and even kind of intuitive for us. Uh, If you like to read, maybe you read for fun, maybe you read for a hobby. Uh, If you read much at all, you know that a good author 
Uh, one who really wants to get you engaged and keep your attention right away will introduce you very quickly to the main character of a book. Now, that main character, if you remember from literature, is called the protagonist. And every good book has a protagonist. Uh, well, the Bible has one. And we are introduced in the very first verse to the protagonist of the Bible, the main character of the Bible. And that main character is God. This is God's story. The, the one thing I hope you take away from this is that this whole thing here is the story of God. It is God's story. And that's really important for the way we read the Bible. Because sometimes I read this book like it's my story. You know, I can get caught up in, in what I'm reading and think, okay, now how does this apply to my life? Like, what am I supposed to do with this right now? Like, God wouldn't be giving this to me if I didn't need it right now. But the truth is that maybe it's not for me right now. Why? Because it's not my story. It's God's story. And knowing that is important because it means we can't just take bits and pieces of this and apply it to our lives and expect them to work out the way they do in here. Like, for instance, uh, we may have this, this sense when we're having a problem that, that we are David and our problems are Goliath. But most of the time in life, Goliath wins. I mean, there's a very unique story in Scripture about David defeating Goliath, but the reason it's, it's unique is because it doesn't usually happen that way, right? And the key with David is that David understood it wasn't his fight. Like, it wasn't his battle to fight. He was a small part of God's bigger story. And when he understood that and he knew that the battle didn't belong to David, it belonged to the Lord, that's when he victor was victorious over Goliath. And, and so I think understanding that this is God's story and we just play a small part of it. That's really key to the way you study scripture. Uh, it's also why you probably shouldn't play Bible roulette. You ever do that? Like you got a problem in your life and you go, okay, I wonder, I wonder, God, show me what I should do right now. And you, and like Jesus went and hanged himself. Oh, no, I don't want to, you know, want that. You know, you shouldn't do that. Why? Because it's God's story. It's not our story. Now, I'm not saying the Bible doesn't offer practical solutions for your life. I think it does. It has great advice in there, great wisdom. There's a ton of good things about how to live in there, but it, it didn't tell me that I should marry my wife. You know, it didn't tell me where I should go to school. It didn't tell me like that I should quit my corporate job and go into ministry. But by reading through scripture, we get to know the heart of God better. We can, we can understand his heart. We can know uh, his story. Uh, we can, uh, make decisions more like how he would make decisions knowing what he knows. It's so important to understand that the Bible is God's story. Now, the second thing we learn from Genesis 1-1 is this. God existed before anything else. It says, in the beginning, God. Those first four words, in the beginning, God. Before the universe, before the earth, before oceans and mountains and scientists, before your grandparents, you know, before anything was born, there was God. Everything flows from him. Everything came from him uh, into this dark and formless void. God spoke and it was born. Everything was born. The heavens, the universe, the earth. And, and if you can believe that, if you can just believe this one verse that, that God created everything, that you should have no problem believing anything else that you see in scripture, right? If you can believe that, that into a dark and formless void, God spoke all things into existence, well, then you can certainly believe that Jonah could get swallowed up by a fish and survive for three days. Right? If you can believe that God created everything from nothing, then you could uh, certainly believe that Jesus could feed 5,000 men and their families with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. But even more than that, 
If God is powerful enough to create the heavens and the earth with a breath, like why couldn't he heal your body? Why couldn't he rebuild your marriage? Why couldn't he solve your financial problems or bring your kids back home or win your brother over from drugs or your sister from alcohol? You know, why couldn't he help you kick that pornography habit? I mean, if God is powerful enough to make everything out of nothing, he's certainly powerful enough to make something greater out of you. Now, don't miss it. Genesis 1-1 is a key to effective Bible study. This single verse will inform the ent- your entire view of the world and how you study through scripture this year. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that's some statement. You know, back in, uh, well, 20, almost 25 years ago now, 1996, I remember uh, scientists were playing with their new toy, the Hubble Space Telescope. If you remember when that was launched, they just had kind of looked at all the stuff that they wanted to look at. And so they decided to point it at this like empty piece of space. There's a small black piece of space, never had anything discovered. It's next, kind of next to the Big Dipper. So they point the Hubble Space Telescope to this empty piece of space and they leave the shutter open for 10 days. And you know what they found? They found 3,000 galaxies that no one ever knew existed before. So the entire Milky Way, if you think about our universe, the entire Milky Way is the galaxy we're a part of, which almost every star you see in the sky, everything that you see at night as part of the Milky Way, um, that's one galaxy. Scientists now estimate the universe is made up of 100 billion galaxies. 100 billion galaxies. Now, that's the extent, as we know it, of God's creation. And it's amazing. I mean, think about this. Scientists estimate that there are 200 to 500 billion stars in the Milky Way. And now there's 100 billion of those galaxies out there. And just to give you a sense of scope, like if our solar system, our, our solar system, just the, us and the nine or eight, whatever you believe, planets that we have around our sun, like if you scale it down to one billionth of its size, right, one billionth of its size, the sun is about as big as I am, six feet in diameter. I feel like I'm six feet in diameter after the holidays, right? But six feet in diameter is the sun. Uh, this grapefruit is the size of Jupiter. This apple is Uranus. I can let that hang there for a minute. Uh, and this, thank you. Uh, this grape, I can always count on Sam Milligan for a laugh. This grape is the earth. Like you think about, this is a billionth the size of the earth. This grape is the earth. And after God creates all of the galaxies and all of the stars and all of the planets, he spends time creating the earth, this little tiny grape. And why? Because the universe, the stars, the heavens, everything that you see wasn't God's greatest creation. Even the earth, even this little grape that he spent so much time on with its mountains and oceans and forests, this wasn't the point. We see what the point is in Genesis 1.26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, there's something I want you to notice here. God said, let us make mankind in our image. Let us, plural, right? Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that God, in three equal but distinct parts, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, existed from the beginning. They were there at the very beginning of the story. 
Uh, he was there, all of him, at the beginning, God the Father, Jesus the Son, Holy Spirit, together in perfect community. And what that means is that God didn't create people because he was lonely. He already had perfect community. He didn't need to create humans. He created humanity because he wanted to. Now, this verse also tells us that people were, were made distinct from other beings, right? Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And I know this creates a lot of controversy uh, because this is where some of the disagreement stands between people who are evolutionists and people who are creationists. Because it, if you're an evolutionist, you believe that we're descended from, we're very similar to animals, like we're descended from monkeys, right? And uh, how can we be so close to apes if we were created distinct and we were created in God's image and they were not? In fact, I heard the story of a little girl who uh, heard about evolution in school. And so she asked her mom, mom, how did mankind come to be? And her mom told her the biblical story of creation. Well, in the beginning, God created mankind, man and woman, and he made them in his own image. Uh, he made a man, Adam, and a woman, Eve, and created them to live with him in creation together. And the girl kind of nodded her head, but she still wasn't convinced. And so a couple days later, she went to her dad and asked the same thing. Dad, how did mankind come to be? And the dad said, well, many years ago, there were these monkeys that were all around, and the human race evolved from these monkeys. And clearly, this confused the girl, getting two different stories from her two different parents. So a couple days later, she went back to her mom and said, Mom, you said that God created us in his image as distinct as human beings to be like him. But dad said that, that people were descended from monkeys. How can I tell what the truth is? And the mom said, well, honey, I was telling you about my side of the family. <laughs> but the, these two viewpoints, these, this theory of evolution versus a concept of a God who created the world and us out of nothing, they present a very stark contrast. And not just in how it all happened, but more importantly, in why it happened. See, evolution says that you evolved by accident, but the Bible says that you were created for a purpose. Not only that, but that you are God's masterpiece of creation, that of all the things that God created, there is nothing else like you. That you are the only thing in all of the universe, in, in 500 billion galaxies and 100 billion stars and all the planets that are with them, you are the only thing that was created in the image of God that all the beautiful things that we see in nature and all the wonderful things we see in the sky, they weren't the point of creation. You were. We were. This indicates that God wants to have a special relationship with you that is inherently different than everything else in the universe. I mean, if you're a parent, why did you decide to have kids? A unless it was an accident, it was probably because you wanted someone else in your family, right? You wanted somebody that you could influence that you could have a relationship with, that you could teach the ways of the world to, and that you could expand your family influence. And, and that is the most amazing part of the creation story is that God wants that from us. Like he wants to be with us. He, he wants to spend time with us. And he created uh, all this stuff for our enjoyment, for our dominion, for us to have a great environment. You know, when, when my wife and I found out that we were having a, a child, we found out we were having a daughter, we spent a lot of time and effort creating a nursery for her, right? Painting it in pastel colors and getting nice, comfortable bedding and putting everything together. But the point of that wasn't to have a nice room in our house. We had nice rooms in our house. It was to have a, for her to have a comfortable, pleasing place to stay while she was with us. 
And that's what God's doing in creation. He creates everything. And when he's done, he looks and he says, it's good. You read through this this week. If you did, you see that everything God creates, he looks at it and he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. But then God creates man and woman and he put them together in the garden. And in Genesis 131, maybe you noticed this this week, or if you didn't, maybe you want to highlight it in your Bible. He said this, he looked and he saw man and woman together in one place living in harmony. And he said, that was very good. It was very good. And it was very good for some time. We don't know how long, but for some period of time, people lived in this perfect place called Eden, and we had dominion over it. People could basically do what we wanted. It was our land. It was our environment. We could go where we wanted. We could do everything that we wanted except eat from that one tree and this whole garden full of good things to eat. God put one limitation on it. He said, there's a tree over there. Don't eat the fruit from that tree. Just one limit, and it was designed to protect our well-being. But just like every great story has a protagonist, every story has an antagonist too, and the Bible is no different. There's an enemy, there's a foil for God. And uh, in scripture, God's enemy, uh, the devil, enters this picture this time in Genesis chapter three. And the devil enters the picture uh, as a snake, which personally I think is very appropriate. Snakes are horrible creatures, and uh, that seems just completely appropriate to me. Uh, the difference here is that, that in most stories, the antagonist has a lovable side, right? There's something about him, there's some characteristic or her that uh, draws you to them, that makes you sympathize with them, that helps you to understand, but Satan has none of that. Uh, your enemy has no good side. He is pure evil. Uh, his goal is to deceive us and win us away from the love of God. And Genesis chapter three gives us a great picture of how he did that. And it's really important for us to understand that because it's how he still does it today. Uh, he creates doubt in our minds sometimes. In fact, um, if, you, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. We're going to walk through it here. Your enemy will often use this tactic. You question, deny, and reverse. Question, deny, and reverse. Got it? Okay, watch this. We're going to walk through how the enemy pulls people away from God. And Genesis 2.16 is where we'll start. It says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And that's what God says. You can eat from any tree in the garden, but not that one. Got it? Any tree, not that one. Any tree, not that one. Now watch, watch how the enemy does the questioning part in Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent, it says, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, see that question? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now what did God say? You can eat from any tree, just not that one tree. You see how the enemy kind of twists his words, right? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now question, is that what God really said? No. Does it sound kind of like what God said? It kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? Now you see how your enemy can sneak in there and change things around and twist things and make you question what you think God said. God said you can eat from any tree, but not that tree. The enemy says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree? So first he questions, right? Now second, watch this as he denies Genesis 3, 4. God had said, if you eat from that tree, you will certainly die. Look what Look what the, the devil says. You will not certainly die. Right? The serpent says to the woman, you will not certainly die. Just flat out denies what God said. Uh, this is a tactic he still uses today. Question, then deny. He may still speak to you like this today. Did God really say that was a sin? 
I mean, come on, if, if God didn't want you to do that, he wouldn't have made it so fun. If God didn't want you to cheat like that, he wouldn't have made it so accessible. If God didn't want you to look at that, he wouldn't have made it so attractive. He questions and then denies, and then watch this, he actually reverses. Genesis 3, 5 says this, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In fact, it's not just not bad for you, it's actually good for you. Because then you'll be like God. And what could be better than, you like God, right? What could be better than being like God? I mean, you can be God. You can make your own decisions. You're a grown-up. Like, see, question, deny, reverse. Question, deny, reverse. Satan is the father of lies. And from the beginning of time, he's been using these tactics. And from the beginning of time, we've been falling for them. Lies like, you can be like God. Lies like you're not hurting anyone but yourself. Lies like, God can never use you for anything good. He's the father of lies. But it works. Watch what happens. Genesis 3, 6 says this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, I mean, how many good things are in this tree? It's good for food. It looks good. It's good for gaining wisdom. God must be wrong about this. How could it possibly be bad? It says, when she saw those things, she took some of it and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And verse seven is so interesting. It says this, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In one move, everything changed. Like all of creation was rocked. Everything God designed, all the work that went into creation, it was all frustrated by man's unwillingness to follow directions. And it's easy for me sometimes to think about that moment and say, man, if that was me, I wouldn't have made that same mistake. Like not for fruit, not chocolate maybe. I mean, you know, I made a New Year's resolution, but come on. You know, I wouldn't have given in. But the truth is your enemy knows very well what your soft spots are. Like he... He's not all-knowing, but he knows you well enough. He's done his homework. He, he knows how to exploit that. I mean, for you, maybe, maybe it is food. Maybe it's food for you. And he knows how to get you to, to give in. Maybe for you, it's a drug or alcohol or another addiction. And, and he says, do you really think like this one time is going to hurt? Like show me in the Bible where it says that, you know, drugs are a sin. Do you really think it's going to hurt? Maybe it's with your marriage. Satan just loves to attack marriages, by the way. He loves to attack marriages, especially Christian marriages, because if I can get into a Christian marriage, I get two for one. And that's where your enemy is likely to attack. Whatever that forbidden fruit is for you, that's where your enemy is likely to attack. And he will use this question, of, he will use this tactic of question, deny, and reverse. Well, because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, they're forced to leave the garden and things deteriorate. And it all comes to a head. Uh, in, you see it in this week's reading, in today's reading, I think, uh, Genesis 6-5, maybe it was yesterday's. It says this, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And, and from this verse on, this, this verse, I think this, this story kind of marks a turning point in scripture. The rest of the Bible from this point on, everything we're going to read over the next year, everything you'll read over the next year is the story of God setting to work to fix that. It's God bringing 
people back to himself. It's his plan for what we call redemption. It's his efforts to settle a nation of people and uh, Israel and set them apart. It's him promising to send a savior for the world. It's, it's God coming to earth in the form of a man, Jesus, who lives a perfect life and then dies for our sin. And that's why I'm so excited for, for us to read through this book together and to see what happens. But again, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it's going to be easy. There's going to be a time or several times where you're going to want to quit. Uh, you're going to get to a point, uh, you're going to read something and you're going to see it and you're going to disagree with it. You're going to say, I don't think that's right. Uh, you're going to see something that makes you question like, why on earth would God do this? Why would he be like this? Now that's good. All right. That's good. When you see something and you question it, that's good because it means that you're not perfect yet. And so it forces you to ask this question when you see something that you disagree with. Am I right? Or is God right? Am I right? Or is God right? And I hope as you read through scripture this year, you're asking this question a lot. But as you read through it, don't forget God's original intent was for us to be with him, for him to live with us, for us to be in a tight, loving, fruitful relationship with the God who created you and loves you. He's crazy about you. Uh, his desire is for us to, to, to delight in his law, not to rebel against it, to, to meditate on his word day and night, to be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither and who prospers in everything that we do. Do you know this whole redemption story Everything that we're going to read the whole rest of the year was foreshadowed in the day one reading in Genesis 3. Genesis 3.15, look at this verse. It says this, uh, as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, God says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. That means hostility. Right? I'll put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, the enemy, will crush, or, or uh, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is him talking to Satan. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And you know that when Jesus died on that cross, the enemy must have looked, at, looked up and thought, that's it. I won. The battle's over. He's dead. But that was just a strike at the heel because Jesus didn't stay dead. You know, on the third day, God raised him from the dead and crushed the head of the enemy. And Jesus walked around the earth for 40 days, meeting with his followers and launching the church and giving us the command to go and make disciples. Go tell people about what you've seen and what you've heard. And then he ascended into heaven where he sits today at the right hand of his father. And he's coming back soon. And he promises that when he does, he's going to make everything right again. And that we will be his people and he will be our God. And the enemy, that enemy, will be thrown into the lake of fire forever. What a glorious day that's going to be when darkness is no more, there's no more sin, there's no more divorce and disease and deception. They're all wiped from the face of the earth by the powerful name of Jesus. Let's be ready, church. Let's be ready. Let's get ready together. Let's dive into his word. Let's meditate on it. And let's prepare ourselves for that day together. Would you pray with me? Father God, I am so thankful that you have given us, you have shown us in advance the story of redemption. That even when we can start to read through the story and find it depressing and hard and maybe a little disagreeable that we have the, the knowledge now that we can know that we're in the middle of it, that what has been said before is no more, that you are coming to make all things right again. And we're living in this weird time where the story is 
in the past and in the future at the same time. And so, Lord, sometimes that makes it really difficult for us. But as we read through your word this year, as we meditate on your word, help us to understand that you've got the whole story in your hands. Like you, it is your story and we are a part of it. And that you know the end from the beginning and that you have a plan and a purpose for us. And Lord, that your desire is for us to be in a deep, fruitful relationship with you. God, use your word this year to grow us closer to you. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.